Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. All right, Be Rich, one of my favorite, favorite seasons of the year, and we are at the end of it right now. And for those of you who are here for the very first time, let me just uh, say that you pick one of the best Sundays to come because today you get to see we Christians in action, especially if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you have a preconceived idea what Christianity is all about. I hope to change your mind today. But before I dive in into today's message, I just want to do my plug for the How to Interpret the Bible course happening not this Tuesday, but Tuesday following. You know, the Bible is very important for us as followers of Jesus Christ, but the Bible can also be really, really damaging if you don't know how to read it and how to interpret it properly. And I've seen so many followers of Jesus Christ being led astray because of their misunderstanding of the Bible. So this is going to be a very basic course, but a very, very useful course. We're going to do a general overview of how to interpret the Bible, but we're also going to learn how to interpret specific books of the Bible, how to interpret the Psalm, how to interpret the book of Revelation even, and we're going to learn together. It's going to be fantastic. So make sure, if you have not done so already, to register at therocks.info. All right? Cool. Oh, my clicker. Can I get my clicker, please? Well, uh, for those of you who are new to our church and are wondering, what is Be Rich? Like, what are you guys doing? This is where I don't like church because I just think that church just wants my money. I've been burned before by this TV evangelist, by this prosperity gospel. That's why I stay away from church. And I just said yes to an invite from a friend. And now you're talking about money again. Well, is actually quite different, maybe the opposite to what you think. The reason why we call it Be Rich is because we get, we get this phrase from a, uh, a letter written by a guy named Paul who wrote this letter to his friend, to his protege named Timothy, who was pastoring a church. And he said, hey, I'm sure you have some rich people in your congregation, and I want you, Timothy, to teach the rich people in your church this important, important Teaching, all right? This is the, okay. Right. Um, and this is what Paul wrote to Timothy to tell the rich people in his church. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. That's you and me, by the way, in case you're wondering. If you have a full-time job in Australia, do you know that you are among the top 1% richest people on the whole planet, right? Maybe at least top 5% in the whole planet. So don't say this is not for you. We are among the rich in this world. And it's interesting that Paul used the phrase, the rich in this present world, because we don't use that phrase at all, right? When we talk about rich people, we just say, hey, so-and-so is rich, so-and-so is rich. We don't say, hey, he's rich in this present world. That is not necessary. But I believe Paul is purposeful here. He says, commanders who are rich in this present world to, to mean, hey, just because they are rich in this world, it does not necessarily mean they will be rich in the world to come because there is another world that will come after this world is over. So again, rich people, don't be too prideful of your riches in this present world. There is a yet another world that is to come. That's why Jesus says, store for yourself treasure in heaven, not treasure here on earth. So he says, commandos who are rich in this present world, that's all of us, to do good, 
To be rich. That's where we get our phrase from. To be rich in what? In good deeds. To be generous and willing to share. I say this every single time we do a Be Rich campaign. Many places will tell you how to get rich, but very few places will teach you how to be rich. To be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. So we break down this exercise, this training to be rich into three different action. We want to learn to give, to serve, and to love our community. So in the first week of Be Rich, we said we want 100% of you to give $50 per person and we're going to give we're going to give 100% of it away to our ministry partner, to our not-for-profit partners in our community. They are doing great work for their community. We want to support them. We, want, we don't want to replicate their work. We just want to be uh, standing beside them and do whatever we can to make them even more successful. And you responded in a big way in the first week through giving, all right? Despite the rising interest rates, despite the, the increasing inflation, you went above and beyond, and we raised the biggest amount yet uh, this year. And I know you already know it from last week, but I just want to brag on you again. I want to announce it again. You gave a total of $51,591.03. How about that? Well done to all of you for digging deep and blessing our community. And we promise every single cent is going to be given away. My friends who other pastors ask me, how can you afford to do this? You know, that's a lot of money to give away. Don't you have any other needs in the church? I said, obviously we have other needs in the church. We still have mortgage to pay, by the way, in case you don't know in this church. But the reason why we're able to do this is because, number one, we have such a generous community here. And number two, there are people who give regularly who sow regularly into what we do, who believe in what we do, and they give on a regular basis. Because of them, we are able to do this. So if you have not yet had the opportunity to participate in this year's Be Rich Giving campaign, it's a bit too late now, but it's not too late for you to continue to be generous. In fact, this is a good, a good exercise for us to keep learning to be generous. So if you keep giving, I promise you, portion of your giving will be given away to our missions partners here in Australia, locally, as well as overseas as well. We budget 10% of your offering to give to our missions uh, every single year. So it's still not too late to give in that way, all right? In the second week, we ask you to serve. Giving is easy. You just send your money away. But in serving, it's a bit more difficult. Now you have to give yourself away in serving. And Tim Healy preached a powerful, powerful message on the importance of us as followers of Jesus Christ to serve our community. And we have many different opportunities this year. You can serve our communities through the crew who does such an amazing job serving the homeless community in around Baldavis area. You can serve the Lilia Haven uh, as well and Ebenezer Aboriginal Company. And you can just go to the rocks.info to sign up to serve if you have not done so already. All right, And that brings us to the final task for all of us as a faith community. And that is we're going to learn to love our community. And to begin, 
I like to share my journey. I like to share my journey. And I shared this before, but I think it's important for the conversation that we have. Why is love so important to God? All right? I, I think it, it, it's good from time to time for us to get reminded again. Why is love so important to Jesus? Why is love so important to God? See, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My dad, he, he, he was not an atheist, but he believed that every religion is good. So just do whatever uh, you, know, you, 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 you think is good because there is a God somewhere and you need to be right with God by doing the right things. Basically, that's what my dad said. He didn't have the term for it, but theologians call this vertical, vertical morality. All right? Vertical morality. Just, just do good because there's a God watching, and if you want to get on God's good side, you need to be moral, right? You can't just live your life anyhow you want to. You need to be moral. And then I learned, because I grew up in a very religious country in Indonesia, I learned that, hey, actually it's not that simple because I found out there's a different version of vertical morality. There's a Catholic version of vertical morality that looked different than the... Muslim version of vertical morality. There's a Jewish version of vertical morality that looks slightly different than the, the Christian uh, vertical morality. But at the end of the day, okay, um, every religion basically says there's a magic combination, there's a pin number that you need to know, and they tell you what their pin number is for their particular religion, but I boil it down all of them to actually basically the same. And here is the pin number if you want to know what a lot of these religions are teaching. If I keep the rules, God and I are cool. So I try to make it rhyme for you, right? If I keep the rules, God and I are cool. So if you want to be cool with God, easy. Just keep the rules. The question is, which rules that you need to keep? Because again, different religion will teach you the different rules. And as human nature, it's human nature for us to like... We want to you know, bend the rules a little bit. We ask, like, what's the minimal that I need to do so that I can get on God's good side? We call this vertical morality. Our relationship with God is gauged by our obedience to God, all right? By our obedience to the laws of God. What's wrong with that? That sounds logical, right? If there's a God, of course God wants us to do uh, right by Him. Well, it, it does sound logical until it's not, okay? Because that's not how you build healthy relationships, right? That's not how you build great relationships. Let me prove it to you. Think about your own relationships, okay? Think about your own relationships. How many of those people in your relationships, like how, how many of them would you say would be obedient to you? Those people in your relationship. Who would be obedient to you? other than your dog, right? Definitely not your cat. In fact, you are obedient to your cat if you're a cat. Just kidding. I love you cat people. I'm just kidding. Okay. But seriously, how would you describe a good relationship? If you come to me and say, hey, Daniel, my boyfriend, he's great. My boyfriend is awesome. And if I ask you back, why is your boyfriend awesome? And then you say, oh, because he's obedient. Is that a good relationship? <laughs> maybe it's true, maybe you think it, but you don't say it, right? If you ask me, I've been married 27 years. If you ask me, hey, Daniel, why do you love your wife Hulda so much? What makes your marriage great? And if I tell you, because Hulda is obedient. 
man, I'll be sleeping in a doghouse tonight, <laughs> right? And I don't even have a dog. So I'm telling you, that's not how you build great relationship, right? You don't build great relationships out of obedience. That's crazy. But here's what's even crazier. When it comes to God, somehow we believe, oh, in order to have a great relationship with God, we need to be obedient to Him. No, that's why Jesus came and Jesus flipped the script basically by saying this. A relationship with God is not gauged by your obedience, it's by your love. He basically boiled out the whole Jewish laws into this one law. When an expert in religious law came to him and asked him to boil down the whole laws of Moses into just one law, this is how Jesus replied. This is how Jesus responded. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. I know the expert in religious law did not ask for a second most important, but Jesus gave it to him anyway. And the second, this is very important because this is what he missed. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, in one fell swoop, Jesus do, he did two things at once. Not only did he flip the script on how we need to relate to God, he said not by obedience, but by love, but he also takes vertical morality, right, the way we think we should relate to God, and swaps it for horizontal, horizontal morality. What is horizontal morality? That our relationship with God is really, at the end of the day, if you want to be honest, is measured by our relationship with others. That's how you know you are cool with God. See, there's no secret formula. There's no magic trick. This is not mysterious in case you're wondering, I don't know if I'm right with God. I don't know if I'm cool with God. Hey, there's an easy way to know. How do you treat people? How do you treat your wife? How do you treat your husband? How do you treat your community? How do you treat your church? How do you treat the government? How do you treat people that you don't like? Because the way you treat them is really how you feel about God. That's what Jesus said. Because the second is not lower, it's not slightly less, more, less important than the first. He says the second is exactly like it. If you are called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, that's exactly how you should love your neighbor, the people around you. And this is illustrated best by Jesus when he uh, was approached by another expert in the law. I'm talking about religious law. And, and this expert in the religious law asked Jesus, hey, how do I get eternal life, Jesus? And Jesus says, ask him back, like, what's written? What do you know? And this guy quoted exactly what we just read, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this is how Jesus responded to that very response. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. A plus, Jesus says. You get HD for this. Do this and you will live. And the response from this expert in religious law is very interesting. And I just got this this week, right? That's why I love reading the Word of God. I know I've preached on this passage maybe, I don't know, a few hundred times, but you always get something new. And this is why it's important for us from time to time to go back to that same familiar passages and read again, because sometimes familiarity breeds contempt and we can miss the gem in a very familiar passage, right? This religious expert wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, 
who is my neighbor? You know what he's doing there? Who is my neighbor? He's going back to that vertical morality again. He's basically saying, hey, Jesus, what's the minimum here that I need to do? How can I draw a boundary to whom I should love? Because I don't want to get on the wrong side of God, right? I'll do it. If God tells me to love people, I, I, lo I learn to love people, even though I really don't want to, but because I don't want to get the wrong, on the wrong side of God, I will do it for God's sake. See, this is where, again, our natural human tendency is to go back to that vertical morality again. And Jesus says, you, you don't get it. You don't get it to you. You don't love your neighbor in order to please God. You love your neighbor because that's the right thing to do. That's a good thing to do. If you want to express your devotion toward me, if you want to express your love toward me, Jesus says, I want you to channel all that energy that you have, you know, we have a lot of energy in singing this morning to God. It's fantastic. And God says, I want you to channel that same devotion, that energy, that passion, you know, channel it on loving others because they are my people. They're people for whom Jesus died. They're people made in my image. You see, if you mistreat them, you mistreat me. If you love them, you love me. So your vertical morality should be translated to horizontal, horizontal morality. You know, this is our tendency, right? I, I just read this as well in, in, re, in doing the research for today's message. I read something very interesting that I, I, I missed. Okay? You know the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, I'll just give you the th three of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not bear false witness. You know, I read that some, some Jewish rabbis actually taught that one's neighbor was really only a fellow Jew. That's what some Jewish rabbis thought. Their neighbor was really only a fellow Jew. So they actually read the Ten Commandments this way, okay? Thou shalt not steal from a Jew. Thou shalt not kill a Jew. Thou shalt not bear false witness to a Jew etc. They even have rewritten some of, the, some of the sabbatical laws, right? One of the sabbatical laws says this, if a man is, if a wall tumbles down a person and a person is caught in this rubble, okay, on a Sabbath day, you are allowed to pick through the rubble to check if the person trapped underneath was a Jew or a Gentile. If that person was a Jew, you're allowed to help him on the Sabbath day. But if that person was a Gentile, you have to leave him there until the next day. Right? We do this. If you think that you're better than some of these religious rabbis, I'm telling you, we're not much better. That's just human nature. That's just human tendency. We decide on whom we love, right? We set the boundary. Okay, we all have this disease that I call meatitis. You know what meatitis is? Your GP wouldn't notice, but I'll tell you, we all have this disease. Meatitis is the disease of me. We think the world revolves around us, right? We decide everything. We decide what is right, what is wrong, what we like, what we don't like, who we love, who we don't love. We decide everything. So, 
in response to this religious, this expert in religious law, who is my neighbor, Jesus launched this very, very uh, famous parable, okay? Uh, I'm not going to explain this too much because it's very self-explanatory, so I'm just going to read it for you again. In reply, Jesus said to the question, who is my neighbor? A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And here's what happened next. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, what did he do? He passed by on the other side instead of helping that man. So to a Levite, a Levite is basically a temple helper, when he came to the place, he saw the injured, dying person as well. But he too passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, we read this story 2,000 years later. We didn't understand the context. So we think like, oh, there's nothing, nothing surprising there because a Samaritan, we know a Samaritan to be a good person, right? So we have good semi-store and all that. But in those days, no, it's actually the opposite. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They're public enemy number one as far as the Jews are concerned. So this story is a very common uh, storytelling technique that Jesus used. It's a three-panel kind of story. You know how modern uh, storytelling uses the same the same um, technique today as well. You have panel one, panel two, and the third panel is really the surprising truth, right? Uh, the surprising truth, the good news, or whatever you want to call it, is in the third panel. So, if you translate this story to our modern-day context, it would be like this. A man was traveling from Canning Vale to Cannington on a motorbike when he got robbed in front of Carousel Shopping Center. A pastor walk by, pastor from the Rocks Church. <laughs> I won't say his name. <laughs> it rhymes with Kim Tilly. <laughs> anyway. And he decided to go to the other side of the street. And then uh, uh, a chaplain walked by. And he too decided to walk on the other side of the street. And then a member of Hamas <laughs> came. He stopped and he took pity on him. And if you read carefully what he I just saw this again. This is again, I can't help gushing over, over the amazing wonder of God's word that is so deep, right? So rich. Every time you read it, you always get something new. So this man who took pity on him, he didn't just take pity on him, okay? He didn't just take pity on him. Look what he did for this man. I want you to pay attention to all the verbs that are being used here, all right? Here we go. Verbs mean action words, okay? This is what, how Jesus told the story. Notice the verbs. He went to him, not avoided him. He actually came to him, right? The opposite of what the priest and the Levite did. And he bandaged his wound. Now, you wouldn't travel carrying bandages just like that, nearly, really, right? So he must have, and this is just my guess, he must have ripped his own tunic. He must have ripped his own clothes in order to bandage this guy. Okay? So he did that. And then he poured on oil and wine to help 
you know, um, neutralize the, the wound, right, so that it wouldn't be infected. By the way, oil and wine, very expensive in those days, but that's not all. Then he put the man on his own donkey. You know what that means? Now he had to walk, right? Because the man, the injured man, was on his donkey. And that's not all. He brought him to an inn. And he just, he didn't just leave him there. Look, he actually took care of him. He spent some time with him until he needed to go on the next day. So what he did, the next day, he took out two denarii. And I found out that to stay one night in an inn in those days only cost one to the 30th of a denarii. So that means two denarii will allow this man to stay in that inn for two whole months. Right? That's a lot of money. Two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him. And then, that's not all. He said, I'm not just going to leave him here. I will return. And I will reimburse you. If that money is not enough, I will reimburse you for any expenses that you may have. And this is where Jesus brings the point home with a strong point with a twist. Right? He said to the man. Remember what the question was? The question was, who is my neighbor? Right? Actually, this is me, itis again, at work. Who is my neighbor? I decide. I decide who is my neighbor. All right? It's all about me. Jesus said, wrong question, buddy. The world doesn't revolve around you. You think you determine who is your neighbor. No, the person who needed help, that person determines whether or not you are a neighbor. That's why Jesus Turn the question around by asking, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? So the right question is, would people consider you a neighbor? Right? It's not who is my neighbor, but would people consider you a neighbor? The only reason why we do the four perth, not as a campaign, but as an identity for our church, we want our community to know that we are for them. We want to be a neighbor to them. We want them, when they think of the rocks, they think, oh, the rocks is our neighbor. Because we don't get to decide, they decide whether or not we are a neighbor. That's why this is very, very important. And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. It seems on face value that this man understood what Jesus was saying, but I don't think he did. Maybe he's only beginning to understand, all right? He sees, but he doesn't see. He hears, but he really doesn't hear. How do I know this? Because he couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan because to, to him he's still an enemy, right? So he simply says, the one who had mercy on him. He understands it here. He doesn't understand it here. This is where it's also difficult for all of you difficult for me. It's difficult for us to convert our vertical morality with horizontal morality. It's easier, much easier, for us to stay in a room like this and say we love God, right? It's much easier for us to stay in a room like this every Sunday, singing great songs, and say, oh, we adore you, God. We love you, God. You have my heart. You have everything. But imagine if this God says to you, Man, that's fantastic. I take it. I receive it. Thank you so much, the Rocks people, for your worship here this morning. I take it. That's beautiful. But I want you 
to channel that same passion, that same devotion to the people around you because that's what Jesus is all about. That's what God is all about. The basic lesson here is true vertical morality will be expressed by horizontal morality. All right? That's when you know you have been a good follower of Jesus Christ. There are three takeaways from this parable, very quickly, right? Number one, it's not enough to just see a need and not do anything about it. All of us see a need. The priest saw the man, verse 31. The Levite saw the injured man, verse 32. But what is their response? To walk on the other side. Maybe you think, I'm not as bad as that priest. I'm not as bad as that Levite. You know, I have compassion on people. I give from time to time, right? But it's not enough for you to just feel compassion. It's not enough for you to just shed a tear. See, it's easy for you to see an image like this, for example, and shed a tear. Like, oh, that's terrible. How could people live like that? Man, maybe your heart is crushed, right? You see an image like this. Like that vulture is just ready to pounce on that kid. And your heart is crushed. And you say, oh, man. And you cry. But how many of you actually do something about it? How many of you actually put that, that passion, that, that, that broken heart into action? Not many. Yeah? I, I just finished a Bible study with my small group. We're learning from a book by Bob Goff called Dream Big. He says a lot of people, that they don't accomplish their dream because they just, just imagine, they theorize, you know, they plan, but they never actually put into action what they believe, what their dream is. And a lot of Christians are like that, right? We say we love God. We say we want to help people. But we stop at feeling compassionate. We think like we are a very compassionate person because we feel compassionate. But you don't do anything about it. So Jesus says, no, it's not enough for you to just uh, feel compassion. It's not enough for you to just see a need, but you don't do anything about it. Number two, what you do is determined by what you see. See, the priest, the Levite, they saw something defiled, something unclean. They saw an inconvenience. They saw a hassle, right? A nuisance. But that Samaritan, he saw a neighbor. He saw someone in need. My question to you is, as a follower of Jesus Christ, what do we see? When we see the need around us, when we see people, do we see a nuisance? Do we see like a hassle? Or do we see a neighbor? Do we see someone in need? Do we see someone made in the image of God? Do we see someone for whom Jesus died? I was playing basketball with Jaden in our backyard only a few days ago. And Jaden usually is pretty good at making shots, right? But that day, he, he, he was missing everything. Man, he is clanking everything. And then, and then he said, you know, he screamed. He was frustrated and he screamed. He said, I'm terrible. He didn't use the word terrible. It was more colorful than terrible, right? So he said, I'm, and I said, Jaden, that's an offense to God, you know. God created you fearfully, wonderfully. So for you to think that about yourself, that's terrible. That's not good because that's your, your, your heavenly father would be offended by that. So again, what we do is determined by, by what we see. What do you see when you see the need around you? Right? And then finally, to help you see right, what you see is determined by who you are. Okay, so when you see someone as a nuisance, when you see a need as a hassle, as an inconvenience, you know, as a burden, then it really reflects who you really are on the inside. Let me tell you who you really are on the inside if you're a follower of Jesus. You are a new creation. 
in Jesus Christ. You have the Spirit of God living in you. And the Spirit of God is the Spirit of compassion, the Spirit of love, the Spirit of giving. So if you see people as nuisance, then I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but maybe you're not sensitive to who you really are, who God has made you to be, who Jesus has redeemed you to be, a new creation that you are. Because I'm telling you, you have the capacity, you have the potential in every one of you to love like Jesus loves, all right? To care like Jesus cares, and to show the amazing grace of God through your action, through your word. So, here's the truth. Receiving, receiving God's love will change you. And I'm, I want to encourage those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ to receive this amazing love and grace from Jesus. It's going to change your life, not just here, but for eternity as well. But sharing God's love is even better because not only will your life change, but you will change someone's life as well. And at the end of this Be Rich campaign, we're going to give you opportunity to change people's lives for good. All right? We have three different love opportunities this year. The first is the crew. The crew is doing an amazing job in the Baldavis area to serve our homeless community. Uh, they donate food um, and, and provide shelter sometimes. So you can, this year, donate food and toiletries, which will be given to homeless people struggling, with, uh, struggling, homeless people, struggling families, and feeding over 300 people each week. So what I want you to do is outside, we have prepared some large paper bags and some guidelines on what to fill the paper bags with. And then I want you to take that home, do your shopping as usual, and then fill it with the items as described by the guidelines, and then bring it back to church on any Sunday. Don't bring it on the weekdays, okay? Bring it on any Sunday between the 5th and the 19th of November. That's the first thing. Second, uh, I want you to give blood, okay? We have our own blood team. I don't know if you know, the Rocks Church blood team. If you are already a donor and you're not yet part of the Rocks Church blood team. Please make sure, check your app, make sure you put the Rocks Church as part of the blood because I want the community to know that we love them, all right? Because we were, I think Peter Chase said we were number seven or number eight last year uh, in our community. I want us to be number one. So between now and the end of the year, I want you to give blood at least once, if not twice, all right? Because I want us to be number one. So when people say, who gives the most blood in our community? They will see the Rocks Church. Wow. They're really, really amazing people because they really care for their fellow men. All right? So that's what you do. Uh, if you're already a donor, please put the Rocks Church. But if you, are, if you have not yet donated, we have a rep from the Red Cross outside. I want you to register. Right? Register. They will contact you, make an appointment and all that. But make sure you give blood this year. Okay? But make sure you check with your health uh, professional first. And then finally, I want you to pack a shoebox as well. You can choose one of these three love in action, by the way. You can do all three if you want, but at least you, you can do one. So as usual, pack a shoebox with gifts to be sent all over the world for children in need. I mean, come on, you know. What, how can you make Christmas any better than putting smiles on children's faces, especially those children in need, right? Again, very simple. You can do this as a family. Grab shoe boxes with instruction outside. And then again, drop it off on any Sunday between the 5th and the 12th of November as well. So please do that. It's going to be amazing. And that brings us to the end of our Be Rich campaign this year. I am 
very, very proud of you. And I hope, even though our campaign ends here, that it will not end in your day-to-day -day life. Let's learn together, always, to give, to serve, and to love our community, because that's exactly what Jesus would want you to do. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.com.